Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. And welcome back to Masters of Modern. Uh, I'm your host, Michael Grothy, here with Nick Prince. Hello. Ben and Alex are still out for the month of October, so I'm taking over the podcast, and I'm here with guests. How's it going? It's going pretty well. Uh, we just got decklist for Mythic Championship 5, which not the topic of this podcast, but uh, Standard looks like it's in some some sort of place right now. Yeah. Uh, a, lot, a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of cool decisions, so I've been, I've kind of been ge- geeking out over that so far. And then I spent a lot of time yesterday looking at the modern results out of SEG Indianapolis. Uh, Drake Sasser, very cool guy, won with Giftstorm, and I was very happy for him. Yeah, not something I expected to win, but I think yeah. It was probably a good choice. Yeah, it's well, um, obviously it was a good choice. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like it's like that. We, you know, how once every like, you know, two or three months, Affinity does really well. Yeah, Storm does. Re- it's it's just that sort of deck where like, man, it's a terrible choice seven seven out of eight times. But when you hit the right timing, it's just perfect. Yeah, well, and it's funny because it did the same thing in Legacy a yep. couple weeks ago, where you know nobody was really expecting Storm to be a big thing, but yep. it's just one of those decks where the power level is high enough that if people aren't really ready for it. You can take them, you know, take down the tournament. Yeah, absolutely. And shout out to Cyrus for basically just, as far as I can tell, <laughs> staging that whole revolution by himself. And now yeah. it's just taking down every other event, it feels like. Yeah. In Legacy. Uh, so I, for uh, any viewers or listeners who don't know, uh, who who are you? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> so my name is Nick Prince. I am mostly known for being very loud on Twitter. Uh, I write for TCG Player now since the last time I've been on. I, I've been a guest before. I have competed in one Mythic Championship in London. I play as many tournaments as I can, which can be a little tricky in Los Angeles because yeah. we're just kind of far from everything, yeah. as it turns out, despite being a, a gigantic city. There's not all that many large events here. And I also do a podcast with uh, Magic Online Grinder VTCLA, better known as, or maybe less known as Baker Neenan. And we talk mostly about deck building, uh, primarily about standard, but also about modern. Yeah. So especially this summer, we spent a lot of time talking about Hogak. I, I think Baker was one of the first people who really like broke Hogak. He he was putting up the those first results on Magic Online where everyone went, went like, oh, oh no. <laughs> Yeah. Did, did they did they break the for oh they broke the format? Yeah, so. yeah, with altered dementia still legal. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. That that entire era was a lot of fun because we basically just got to like talk about Hogak for yeah, like, I mean, two like, months I think when, while we were both playing it. And I think when Modern Horizons first came out, there was like that period of discovery where it's like there's obvious that there's some broken stuff here. What is it? <laughs> yeah. And it turns out it was Hogak. Uh it was. and we're still, you know, feeling a lot of the fallout of Modern Horizons uh post Hogak. Oh, 100%. Well, and now Throne of Eldraine, Thro- like, Modern Horizons added a ton, but that makes sense. It was it was a right. set that was focused on Modern. Like, if, if, if we had gotten a normal amount of cards out of Modern Horizons, that would have been weird, where we were like, okay, yeah, Urza and Hogak, those are the two, and now yeah. we have, and then we also have 257 other cards that are, like, technically legal, and, like, maybe you'll sideboard a shenanigans or whatever sometimes. Yeah. But, like, Throne of Eldraine has a surprising amount of power in it for modern legacy and whatnot for sure i mean looking at this open top eight it's like one two three four five five out of top eight decks have like four plus eldraine cards so did you count john death shadow that has a once upon a time oh yeah it's got two i didn't so six six these decks have eldraine cards Mm -hmm. yeah really i think think the only one 
I think the only one that doesn't is like gifts gift storm but i he might have been playing a mystic dispute if i remember right yeah in the in the sideboard that's mi- right mi- <laughs> uh spoiler that card is very good like if you have if you haven't played it in standard yet like consider playing it in modern also because i have been playing it in standard actually yeah it's yeah. it's interesting because it's like kind of main deckable in standard like a lot mm-hmm. of the time you're stuck playing three mana counter spells anyway and then the fact that like if your opponent is trying to play teferi or oko or something you just like got him <laughs> yep exactly it's it's the sort of thing where as i'm looking ahead to what i was would assume in standard is going to be a field of the dead ban and we're not sure if oko is going to get the axe or not the ability to counter oko on turn with just one mana it, it it's basically spell pierce and yeah, then especially unlike spell pierce though it's like not dead like you're saying right like, it's sometimes just a bad mana leak and sometimes that's good enough yeah and and especially in um in like this uh this standard environment where you have like a lot of tap lands and yep. you're playing like you know temple on turn one and then you don't have a two drops you're playing like shock land on turn two tapped or something and that one mana that can counter the oko or the teferi if you're on the draw um yep. And I've had that come up a bunch uh, playing a bad blue-red deck in standard. (laughs) Right. Well, and there's a bunch of other stuff. There's just a bunch of weird things that it hits. Like, I mean, people are playing nonsense like Agent of Treachery, which even if they ban Field of the Dead, I don't think that's going away. Agent is still one of the best things you can do for seven mana. Stealing something permanently is big. And Nissa is probably sticking around no matter what. So, (laughs) And Hydroid Crisis. Nobody ever plays Hydroid Crisis with three mana open. They play it for all of the available mana. So you can always just get the body. And like, maybe that's not ideal, but... I would much rather discard a card to make them lose their 8-8 or whatever. And then, and then in modern, it, it's kind of perfect because we're also seeing a ton of Emery, right? Yeah. Where the ability to just use your snow-covered island to counter their their necessary combo piece is pretty important. Yeah, and it counters Urza. Yep. Um, it counters, like, I guess Urza and Emery are the two big ones that we're seeing in this top eight. But obviously, it counters a lot of stuff out of, like, blue-white, which you're going to mm-hmm. come up against in every modern tournament forever. Exactly. Um, it, counter, it counters Narset yeah. on turn three. It counters Little Teferi on turn three. It counters Big Teferi on turn five. <laughs> yeah. So then they don't get to untap those lands they were counting counting on. I think Mystic Dispute is, like, quietly one of the better cards from Eldraine, but people haven't picked it up because it just kind of feels like this, like, dinky sideboard card. But yeah, it's well, quite good. And it's interesting because, like, it competes with a lot of other cards for that kind of like sideboard counter spell mm-hmm. slot in modern at least yeah i mean i think that i think the popularity of urza decks like i don't, I don't think that it's questionable that urza is uh i think before eldraine it was probably just the best deck now with amulet titan getting once upon a time which is a very big get for them i think that like you can make an argument that those are the top two decks um but yeah because urza these... is so good i think that mystic dispute is definitely worth paying attention to because countering emery is so important against something like these jeskai ascendancy decks where you can not only like get rid of the emery they don't mill themselves and it's just it has kind of effects on how they're going to play their game going forward yeah yeah i agree with that and i think that these results are kind of reflecting uh those two as the top decks from the the star city open and the classic uh this weekend before we get too far i want to do all the shout outs we've got uh, don't forget to uh, follow us and uh, sorry, subscribe and uh, like the video on YouTube. Uh, it really supports us, even if you're a podcast listener. If you go over to our YouTube and uh, like our videos and subscribe to our channel, uh, it really helps us out. Uh, if you are a podcast listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and like the podcast. That helps us out as well. Um, we also, you can follow us on Twitter to get updates about, you know, 
future episodes and meetups and all kinds of things that we like to do. Uh, Alex has been started trying to get streaming started. Uh, he's gonna he's been streaming a little bit of Arena, and I think once the Mac client comes out, it'll become a lot easier for him. So if you want to know where to find all that stuff, follow us on Twitter at the MMCast. You can follow Alex at Kess Wiley, Ben at Ben Bateman Media. I'm at Dudard, D-U-D-A-R-D-D. And uh, if you want to follow Nick, if you like the episode. I'm at Nick N. Prince. Uh, we also have a Facebook group, uh, which is the official Masters of Modern Facebook group. It's one of the bigger modern Facebook groups. I think it might be the biggest. Uh, so there's a lot of great discussion there uh, about, you know, modern format and decks and results. And um, we have like a, a stats guy who goes through and like pulls all the results and tells you, you know, oh, this many decks were in the top 32 and all that stuff. So there's a lot of good stuff in the Facebook group. Uh, also support us on Patreon. Uh, that's, you know, how we get to keep this show going and how we get to, you know, provide this crystal clear audio. And, uh, <laughs> and it's all because of, uh, the people who support us on Patreon. Um, you also get access to uncut episodes where we often will have, um, you know, little side conversations that end up getting cut for time or, uh, you know, bloopers and stuff like that in the uncut episodes you also get access to a couple of extra channels on our patreon where we post uh, deck lists and stuff like that on our discord did i say patreon i meant extra channels on our discord <laughs> where you get access we'll post lists on there uh and stuff like that uh also uh don't forget to check out our sister podcast the command zone if you uh are looking for commander content they put out the best commander content out there um uh, with game nights and their podcast command zone. So, uh, yeah, check them out. Let's get back to modern. Let's look at these decks. So, so you were saying that you think the two top decks are Urza outcome and Titan. And I think that these results reflect that in the open, we've got, uh, one Urza and two amulet Titan. And in the classic, we've got one, two, three Urza and an amulet Titan. Um, so they are definitely like consistently putting up results in, you know, the big modern, the one big modern tournament that we, or the two big modern tournaments that we've got so far. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think specifically the Urza outcome decks are the better versions of the decks. I think they're just a little bit more able to enact their game plan through disruption. What I was really unimpressed with from the Urza ascendancy list, the versions playing Jeskai ascendancy and Emery, mm -hmm. um, are that the decks really don't function that well without Emery. Yeah. Because in order to in order to combo off and justify playing Jeskai Ascendancy, you have to have the ability to continually cast and recast artifacts from your graveyard. Whereas Urza Outcome has mostly just a ton of interchangeable pieces, and you just kind of need uh, some amount of them in order to go off. Because eventually you'll just find an Urza and play it, and now you have infinite mana. And even if your opponent kills it, you can kind of st still keep going off because you make nine mana or whatnot, bounce everything with an outcome, draw nine cards, you probably just find another Urza. Right. You've got five mana floating, so then you go like, artifact, 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 Urza is the last spell, do it all again. And it didn't matter that Urza died. Yeah, right. and like your key combo piece being an instant or a sorcery uh, as opposed to an enchantment means that you can like play one Mystic Sanctuary, which not all the Urza outcome decks are doing. I was actually looking at all their mana bases right mm -hmm. now to, to make sure that was something people were doing. But, uh, you know, you can, if you try to paradoxical outcome on their end step or something and they counter it, you can untap and you can just like fetch for a mystic sanctuary and paradoxical outcome again and just go off on your turn. Yep. Absolutely. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, the fact that outcome is a, 
is an instant that like sits in your hand and can't really be easily interacted with, uh, especially with Mystic Sanctuary if they like strip it with a thought, thought seize or something or they counter it. Um, yeah, you have you have a lot more options to get it back versus Jeskai Ascendancy being your like you know big combo turn combo piece. Yeah, absolutely. And there was a, there was specifically around um, early on on day one that I think is just really good to watch. It was Edgar Magalhaes versus Autumn Burchett. And I legitimately went, I like went to the bathroom. I was like, Oh, Autumn's dead. Like they're, they're done. I'm sorry. There's what no was, way. What was the matchup? Uh, Amulet Titan. Edgar's of course, yeah, just yeah, yeah. on, on yep. his deck versus Autumn on Urza outcome. Yeah. And I thought the game was over. Went to the bathroom, came back. Autumn somehow has like 20 monk tokens, a dozen thopters and has survived and i'm not even really sure how um, i have to go back and watch this one chunk that i missed to see just how different this game went but i thought the game was over edgar had resolved to prime time and autumn was about to pass the turn back like, yeah and i saw i saw autumn had um had the monastery mentors and rest in pieces in the sideboard which i yeah. thought rest in peace was really interesting because like uh you had the Wurza decks were playing like leaning on Thopter Sword, and so their like great grave hate options were a little bit limited. But with this paradoxical outcome, you're you're not using the graveyard, which is one of the big uh, advantages. Um, and you know, especially not playing Ascendancy, you like don't use your graveyard that much at all. Emery's like the only yep. card that cares about your graveyard, and you don't need Emery to win. Yep. Um, so you can just board into Rest in Peace and just like totally destroy you know some of these dredge decks that are creeping back up with. Um, with uh, Haggle. Or the um, Jeskai Ascendancy list. Or the Jeskai Ascendancy list. have like ways to remove a rest in peace and their deck does almost nothing if they yeah. don't have it. Yeah. Yeah, so, so rest in peace being such a powerful sideboard card that you get access to now that you're not using your sideboard, I thought that was really cool for the for the Paradoxical Outcome Urza lists. Yeah, I definitely like those a lot. The, um, the Urza Ascendancy list did put one person into the top eight of the Open. Mm-hmm. Oliver Tomiko played it. Uh, part of me wonders how much of that is that Oliver seems like he can top eight with anything. Like, he's just an incredibly good player. Yeah. Um, I don't know that... I, I, I would love to hear what his thoughts are on this actual deck, actually, going forward. Like, if he thinks this is the better version or if you would rather be playing the more just streamlined outcome version. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll find out. no matter what, it, like you have backup plans in this deck, uh, because you can just go off with like Sahili or Sai or something like that and just have like a ton of one ones and kill them yeah. that way. You don't ever need to like have Jeskai ascendancy even, um, or mirrored in besiege, which has been popping up. Um, and actually like mirrored in besiege seems particularly strong in the Jeskai ascendancy because you're like, you know, even if you don't have an Emery or even any creature, just like playing all these creatures, dumping cards in your graveyard, if you can just resolve Mirrored and Besieged at some point, you'll just win. Yeah, eventually we'll just win. It is it is a perfect win condition for these decks. In yeah. Ways. Yeah. Another another Modern Horizons uh, ad. And uh, I like uh, Oliver's sideboard is that has the three Oko uh, that we were talking about a little bit last week when we were talking about... Um, Oko's impact on modern uh, as a sideboard card for these Urza decks. Yeah, I, I actually think Oko should probably just be a main deck card in a lot of like I think it's going to create archetypes. That's yeah. how good it is. Because yeah, but you know, creating archetypes takes a lot longer than yeah, figuring out where it already fits. So that's what we're seeing right now with Oko is you know it fits in these sideboards as like an answer to Chalice mm-hmm. of the Void or an answer to um, really Pithing Needle or yeah, obviously <laughs> pretty much everything. Um. 
Also, Mystical Dispute in this sideboard. Um, great card. Yeah, great in the mirror. Great against decks that are looking to counter your combo pieces. Pick up that 25-cent common before it becomes 50 cents. You oh, heard it here. It's an uncommon. Oh, man, don't, it's an Don't uncommon? underestimate. <laughs> oh, wow. Pick up that dollar common before it goes yeah. up to $1.50. Yeah. Do they have alt art versions of it? Can I get a storybook version of that card? No, unfortunately, oh, so those are only the adventure cards. But hey, if you, uh, you know, storybook, uh, what's, I always forget the card. I want to say haggle because that's the adventure, but Ooh, it's Merchant called of Merchant of the Veil. Yeah, you get a storybook Merchant of the Veil. Also, uh, clearly a modern playable um, as evidenced in these, these dredge lists. And Alex called it. Alex kept saying that, uh, you know, haggle is going to replace Faithless Looting and Actually, on the show, I think I was like, well, I don't know. Is it that much better than uh, Insolent Neonate? And it is. <laughs> I mean, you know, not that much better, but it's better enough that uh, being an instant and having like an extra body randomly later in the game, um, if you're, you know, running into hate or, you know, the game just slows down because you don't dredge the right cards. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that you just have that 2-3 that can kind of gas you up a little bit, I think, is helpful. Yeah, I, I do think that there is definite value to the fact that you can do things at instant speed. Like, especially in just dodging various graveyard hate cards that are seeing play. The ability yeah. to, like, pull things out of your graveyard yeah. can be very clutch. Yeah, so if you're getting, you know, Tormod's Cryptid or Nile Spellbombed or something, you can grab the dredge card out of your, your yeah. graveyard, so that way... Um, Mm-hmm. You can like keep going the next turn. Yeah, or alternatively, you let them do that, and then you just discard. You know, play it, discard the dredge card, draw off of it, right? Because it, yeah. it, it discards first, if I remember right. Yeah, it yeah. does. So, card it has enough versatility that I can buy that it's better than insulin neonate, but it doesn't take much to sell me on something being better than insulin. Well, insulin I know insulin neonate certainly uh, is nothing to write home about, but being a one drop creature is relevant for like Vengevine variants, which yeah, absolutely. are, you know, weak enough that we aren't really seeing them a lot, but they show up. I've, I've seen mm-hmm. a couple of, um, a couple of Vengevine decks still popping up in uh, magic online results and stuff. And they are still playing neonate because it is a one drop creature. Sure. <laughs> These amulet Titan decks are still just playing. They're playing for once upon a time. But other than that, they're kind of what we're expecting from Amulet Titan. What do you think? Um, I mean, you were talking earlier about how much you think Once Upon a Time adds to the deck. And I think that we're seeing that. What do you have to say about uh, Once Upon a Time and Amulet Titan? I mean, there isn't a whole lot to say other than the fact that like this deck does one thing. All it wants to do is put Primeval Titan into play. Yeah. And there is a vast vast difference between games where it doesn't have amulet titan and games where it does the games where it doesn't have it it might as well just be playing like a deck of playing cards at your opponent because none of it does anything uh the games where you do have prime time you win in spectacular fashion usually in like a turn or two and because you've gotten so many of the key cards like lands out of your deck you can keep doing it no matter what they're doing to you You, they can path every one of your prime times you're going to keep going yeah um once upon a time just adds to this you get the first one's free the every copy after that you have the mana laying around because the turns that you are not playing primeval titan in this deck are incredibly mana efficient you often just have two or three mana laying around because all you did was play like a sakura tribe scout or something right and you're like putting an extra land into play so you have more mana but you don't need it (laughs) right so it's like really easy for this 
deck to end of turn play the once upon a time so you don't you know you don't give away your hand and then like oh by the way this is a primeval titan i'm gonna play that in this turn and win the game yeah when you were expecting that i just had nothing to do yeah these amulet titans are also playing um they're you know finding room for castle garenbrig and they're like carefully constructed mana bases with all these one ofs and combo pieces and hate cards. And um, there's room for castle Garenbrig because like you were saying, primeval Titan is just that important that yep. like being able to play it a turn earlier off of a castle Garenbrig is, is just worth, you know, making it work. Yeah, even though it's like not super consistently untapped necessarily. And you have to like find room for it in your like weirdo five color mana base. Yeah, I mean, and that came up in um, in Philadelphia. Ellie Warfield was playing Jun Death Shadow uh, on our team, and uh, I think it was, gosh, I'm forgetting, it was Dilks, I believe, um, was playing Amulet Titan and was very resource light, top deck the Titan, but did, would otherwise not have had the mana to cast it, except for Castle Garenbrig. Yeah. So, like, that that just makes the case right there for, for yeah. it to me. Like, he would have probably lost this game had had he not had exactly that land in play. Yeah, and so so for context, this list I'm looking at is playing the two Castle Garenbrig with two. with three forests, two forests and one snow-covered, uh, and no fetch lands. And that's it. There's not a shock land I'm missing here. Is there? Oh, two breeding pool. So we have five, five forests and no fetch lands, but the Castle Garenbrig is just worth it. Um, and mm-hmm. obviously, Amulet will untap it, but... <laughs> and, and it's like a weird thing where, again, because it's mana is so inefficient, like you can usually just kind of put it into play tap yeah, if you have to. Yeah, like, with the Secure Tribe Scout even, much. you know, yep. whatever. You'll find a way to get it into play before turn four or five or whatever if you need to. Yeah, uh, I just thought that Garenbrig, like I, it was obvious that it was going to get played in like, you know, uh, Titan Shift and stuff like that. Other Primeval Titan decks where like they're playing a ton of mm-hmm. basics and like ramp spells to put forest that can put forest into play. Um, it was a little bit more unclear to me during spoiler season whether Amulet Titan was going to find room and whether it would be like worth it to find room, and it looks like it was. So that is uh, another interesting Eldraine uh, development here in Modern. Yeah, absolutely. And like, if I'm an SCG grinder looking at this top eight, looking at what has historically done well and who is now picking up the deck, you see Zach Allen's on it, you see Willie Pulliam's on it. I actually don't know if Will's played it before. I don't think i've seen zach on it he's usually playing some bizarro esper charm esper deck right um you and then you have kind of the mainstays of like dom harvey uh dilks Ayers, edgar all of them playing amulet titan i would be ready for this matchup i would expect that it's going to be one of the most popular decks at any scg tournament if you're if you're on the east coast if you're opposite from us like i would make sure to have a strong plan against this deck and really know how the interactions work because i feel like that's where a lot of people lose edge against amulet because they don't they don't know exactly how it plays out me just watching um my friend danny play this deck did so much for me being able to play against it in terms of knowing like oh they can go off this next turn i need to disrupt this turn rather than try and advance my own game plan yeah um for sure and and it while it's true that there's like a lot of you know prolific scg amulet titan players i also think that like no matter where you are you should be prepared for the matchup mm-hmm. because this is like the first big modern tournament since eldraine came out and it's like already showing that or non-team tournament there's a team yeah. tournament already right but this is the first big like individual modern tournament and so the fact that there are two amulet titans in the top eight um and it had a good showing on camera and everything uh I think it's clear that uh, it's going to be like a deck to watch out for. 
absolutely. Do it. Click on click on Drake's deck because he was ready. Yeah, I have to give let's, him. Big let's look at this, this. Let's look at this sideboard here. Specifically, he has two Blood Moons in the sideboard, which is not a common card for Storm to play always. Yeah. But it makes perfect sense when you're an SCG player and you know that all the Amulet players are like rubbing their hands together at once upon a time because they're so excited by it, right? Yeah. They that those Blood Moons did work all day, from what I could tell. In the top eight, I believe they just won one of the matches for him. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean. It- it's so there's not a ton of eldraine in this deck there's a couple of mystical dispute but one thing that i haven't seen a lot of in storm is the three merchant scroll um i think it's interesting i mean you know for if you can play it for only one mana with an electromancer or brawl it like i guess adds some consistency to your deck so you can find the gifts ungiven to like you know do the gifts ungiven thing find your combo pieces and win um you can also find there's a one of echoing truth in the main so like if you have to merchant scroll for echoing truth to get rid of a damping sphere or something you can do that um i guess the only sideboard card it finds is mystical dispute Uh, so there's it's not like a super toolboxy card it's really just like additional copies of gifts ungiven it looks Mm -hmm. like for the most part um well and and what he's using those slots on there's usually about two flex slots in terms of like things that you can kind of do like an an echoing truth and like maybe one more utility card as well and then uh kind of two of your choice of cantrips you can play more sleight of hand or opt or sometimes you see cards like peer through depths in this slot yeah but at the end of the day i think that i think that it makes sense to play some number of merchant scroll just because a lot of the times the only thing you're looking for is gifts given right. if you're going if you're willing to pay two to look at the top five cards of your library you're probably just willing to pay two to find the card you want right because no matter what you're looking for if you're looking for like a, a, a creature to give you a discount if you're looking for a ritual or you know a remand or something gifts ungiven will find all of it so mm-hmm. you might as well just you know have merchant scroll as opposed to a cantrip because it will find instead of finding maybe one thing it will find everything <laughs> yeah absolutely the one thing i'm surprised not to see in the list is the one of noxious revival just because when i like it's been a while since i've played storm but that card is a huge crutch for getting you out of kind of well i think i can win but i'd have to draw out of it versus i can now deterministically kill you because i can go get noxious revival off of my gifts i'm given and right. make your piles just that much worse because i've already drawn one of these cards and had it discarded or something weird. yeah it just like is a it allows you to, to do like a three card gifts i'm given yeah. um where you know exactly but drake is a master i know he's played storm before and i'm sure that he probably just didn't need it whereas yeah. i want a crutch he probably right. he, he can just win yeah <laughs> as evidenced sense. by this tournament yeah gifts ungiven is definitely a card that rewards um a more experienced player with that with the deck uh there's one other list that was doing really well uh on day one uh from sam black the uh S- mystic sultai uh is what he called the deck and it's a sultai control deck uh playing four mystic sanctuary oh only three down to three <laughs> three mystic sanctuary and then uh just like Control, removal, and counter spells, abrupt decay, assassin's trophy, cryptic command, deprive, drown in the lock, fatal push, force negation. Um, and then th- three into the story is like the main card advantage. And then just like the only win conditions are one torrential gear hulk and one field of the dead. And four snapcaster mage. And four don't snapcaster discount, mage. And four snapcaster don't mage. Don't discount goblin piker beats. Those <laughs> win more than enough games That's in, true. in all sorts of formats. I, I've definitely won with snapcaster beats. I've won with Scourge Tribe Elder beats before. I was proud of that game. 
Uh, I'm, I'm disgusted. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you draw three of them and your opponent isn't doing anything, you can beat that's them up. Fair. You activate like the Slayer Stronghold or whatnot <laughs> on it. Like that's got to feel okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this is like a really cool deck on paper where, you know, it's like a new flavor of control where you're like not just jamming Planeswalkers. You're kind of doing it the old fashioned way with like, interaction one for one interaction and card draw and just like grinding your opponent out um and that it's cool because the blue white control decks are not really that because they are always playing like planeswalkers as like their main you know counter your spell path your creature here's a jace okay the jace is going to win me the game but this this deck is really doing it the hard way um and i think that's interesting to see uh i would say that this looks like a deck that's going to have a lot of draws. Yeah, <laughs> if, 100%. Especially if you um, don't know what you're doing with the deck. So I think that this is a cool deck to look at. I would definitely be nervous about sleeving this up and taking it to a tournament unless I had played with it a ton. This is new enough. Is it worth talking about what exactly, what what the joke is here with this deck, so to speak? Like Sure. Cause I'd, so the, the entire purpose of this deck and why the card is built around mystic sanctuary specifically is that card lets you put an instant back on top of your library mm-hmm. from your graveyard right with deprive you now have permanent counter spell because yeah. you pick up the mystic sanctuary every turn you put it back down now you've just you've counter every single one of their plays and then your quote-unquote end game is casting multiple cryptic commands every turn so yeah. that you can continually loop these cryptics so that and bounce all their permanence or whatnot and what enables all of this is that is the printing of Mystic Sanctuary. And yeah. why you only need three is because you actually, it might say three, but you actually have, I mean, 13. How many, how many fetches do they have, right? Every single 10. Fe- yeah, exactly. You have like, you have 10 fetches that go find this Mystic Sanctuary. You will always have one when you want one. If, yeah. Just because it's fetchable. Which is the part that really makes no sense to me. Like I yeah. don't know how I don't know how this one slipped through because everyone picked up on this synergy right away. Yeah. Um, but it's it's here to stay now, and it's a very interesting deck. Uh, Into the story, especially, is is awesome in this deck because it draws so many cards for so little resources. Yeah, it's, it's but, four cards for four mana. Yeah. That's that's crazy. That's right. <laughs> it's it's bonkers and then and they're always going to have cards in the graveyard because you're countering everything they do yeah <laughs> so you never run out of resources. and you have thought scours so you can like thought scour them to turn on your drown into the lock or you're into the story mm-hmm. which we talked about with that grixis control deck that we talked about yep two weeks ago i think on the on the cast yep the thing that he was talking about was that he was actually afraid of how much one-for-one removal was in this because his real his only real way of getting ahead on cards are those into the stories. Everything yeah. else looks at one card or counters one card. Right. Well, I mean, Snapcaster Mage can be a two-for-one. Yeah. I mean, if you can trade the body for a card, right? Like if your opponent right. is playing Burn or something, you can like Snapcaster an Abrupt Decay to kill their Monastery Swiss Spear and block their Goblin Guide or something. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, Snapcaster Mage occasionally is a two-for-one. Torrential Gear Hulk is generally a two-for-one because it demands an answer. There's like a little bit cryptic command, but, but yeah, in general, this deck is leaning on into the story but mystic sanctuary will allow you to rebuy it if you really need to um you also have pulse of Marasa to rebuy snapcaster or gear hulk um 
But yeah, super cool deck. And and I also think it's interesting that both this deck and the the Amulet Titan decks now are leaning on snow-covered lands as like a way to turn on Field of the Dead, which definitely does not sound like something that Field of the Dead was intended to do. <laughs> Right. That I you can play. This deck plays field. Yeah, I one. There's that one of in one, there, which is the the backup backup win condition. Yeah, <laughs> when the game's gone way too long, and your deck that is mostly just trying to put islands into play somehow has to win the game. This one isn't going to abuse it super hard, but it will make a couple zombies. And well, right. I just think it's funny that you yeah. you've got one island, two snow covered island in mm-hmm. the deck, uh, and then a snow covered forest, snow covered swamp, because you're. The, the snow coverage will count as a different name for Field of the Dead, even though it's functionally the same card and Snowlands are silly. <laughs> so I, I remember the deck tech, or I think it was the deck tech with Sam Black. He also talks, there's a one of Arkham's Astrobite yeah, hiding one. in there. And that is actually a, a big part of the mana base, apparently, because uh, Mystical San- Sanctuary, or Mystic Sanctuary, mm-hmm. needs you to have three islands in play mm-hmm. already. It itself only taps for blue. You only have a couple duels. One of the big problems you can have with this deck is that you actually are hard up for non-blue colors because you have to have so many islands and blue-producing lands in play just from what you're trying to do. Yeah. You need this Arkham's Astrolabe to like filter mana for you so that you can cast two black spells in a turn or whatever. That makes sense. Because, it. yeah, I mean, it, it looks like you really don't just like one... You want to have like outs to Blood Moon, and you also don't want to take too much damage off your lands. So the deck's playing one Watery Grave, one, uh, one um, Breeding Pool, and a Sunken Hollow, which doesn't damage you but is a little clunky. So you're you are kind of like leaning on these basics to to produce a lot of your mana because you're playing so many fetches to find Mystic Sanctuaries that like the mana base ends up being kind of awkward because you don't want to take a ton of damage, so you want to be fetching for basics. But that means like you're playing a three color deck, so yeah, the one astrolabe is uh is interesting. I I'm wondering if that was like an addition as as a one of, or if it started as more and he cut down and was like, well, I can't cut them all. <laughs> I'm wondering where the starting point for this was in testing. I have to assume because this deck doesn't feel like it's really looking to abuse the snow lands. It's just kind of incidentally there. Yeah. Right. I have to assume that this is a Sam Black innovation in terms like one was the exact number that he thought he needed for games. Like he is an incredibly good deck builder. Oh, totally. And I I don't think that it was the sort of thing where he started off with four because this deck just doesn't really have much use for. A can like a, an artifact cantrip as opposed oh, totally to not. every other I, artifact cantrip. So, I don't know that I don't know that you would start with four, but it just it's hard to measure the impact that one Arkham's Astrolabe has on your deck, especially yeah. since like you don't have any way to search for it or fetch it with a fetch land or anything like that. So you it's just like the percentage of games where you draw it, like is that. Is it going to do enough? It's just hard to measure yeah. just one. You know what I mean? And so... 100%. I, what, honestly, it feels like he thought he needed some amount of this effect, but he didn't really want to draw a second one. Right, yeah. So you put one in because it cantrips. It probably was taking the place of something like uh, Serum Visions. I don't think he has any in his deck. Something like that where it's just yeah, like kind of a little bit of a low-impact cantrip it's all instance uh yeah. the deck so no no serum visions and torrential gear hook and snapcaster also have flash so it's it's a completely mm-hmm. instant speed deck yep it's a true control deck which yeah. is cool modern yeah. does not often have those yeah it's it just yeah i mean it's 
and that's that's what I was saying. I like, uh, you know, that it's it's kind of doing it the old fashioned way as opposed to just jamming planeswalkers and winning that way, which of course is a legitimate route for many control decks. Uh, and also in modern, we see like control decks with combo finishes, like historically Splinter Twin or like the Through the Breach or. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like now we're seeing some weird like Jace Wielder of Mysteries Blue Moon decks, but like the kind of blue red control shell with pick your combo win con. But this is like no combo win con, no planeswalkers, mm-hmm. just hit you with torrential gear hulk or snapcasters. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Not that I, I definitely think that there's a place for just control uh, planeswalker based control decks since narset teferi and now i think oko are just compelling reasons oh yeah to play those totally but. although i did notice that like even in the even going down to like the top 16 there's like not a lot of blue white uh in this in this open there's a there's a um azorius stone blade but it's it's playing two jace the mind sculptor three teferi time raveler and it it looks somewhat like a blue white control deck just with uh three spell quellers four stone forge mystic in the equipment package but that's like really the only thing that i'm seeing um even in the top eight as far as blue white goes yeah there were actually a there were very few stone forge mystic decks that i saw when i was going through i think there's one it's um fairly stock-ish looking Selesniel Drazi list. Yeah. Playing Once Upon a Time and cutting the in, in card the, package. In the top eight. Yep. And then scrolling down the rest of the list, I didn't really see a whole lot of Stoneforge Mystic, which is weird because it felt like a month ago it was everywhere. Yeah. Well, I think that's what happens like when a new set comes out or when a card gets banned is like everybody wants to try out the new stuff, especially when it's something that's as obviously powerful as Stoneforge Mystic. Yeah. I mean, everybody knew that like Stoneforge Mystic is such a huge, was such a huge player in Standard was such a huge has always been such a huge player in legacy that like you kind of you know that it's got got enough going for it that you can you know it's not hard to come up with a, a good stoneforge list i i just think it's interesting yeah you're right not only is blue white somewhat unrepresented here uh stoneforge is too and i think part of the reason that blue white might be underrepresented is because a lot of these decks are kind of trying new stuff with eldraine with like you know, Amulet Titan seeing a big rise in popularity and these Urza decks like varying just enough that it's like kind of hard to attack them at the right angle. Um, maybe Blue White just haven't hasn't found its footing in this new metagame yet. Yeah, it's also it's also possible that um, because oh. the format was moving so much more towards kind of interactive gameplay and the last few weeks it seemed like that this was the week where the uninteractive stuff kind of broke out you see a dredge in the top eight you see storm winning the event amulet titan is not really interactive it kind of can be and you can interact with it a little bit i Um, I would call it an uninteractive deck i mean every uninteractive deck especially post sideboard has like some interaction they bring in in case the the uh the opposing deck is faster or trying to disrupt them and they need to Mm -hmm. disrupt the disruption but well, it's so weird because like that deck, the deck is often even just in game ones, like very interactive, just in very weird ways, like recurring a Bajuka Bog against a graveyard deck or yeah. recurring the fa- the one, not hallowed fountain, radiant the, the fountain, radiant fountain yeah. over and over. And like, that's how you beat burn. And like, so you have like weird ways that you suddenly are the control deck because you are kind of tend to be kind of a slower combo deck in yeah. a lot of ways. You're just very resilient. Um, but yeah, I guess it probably is on the whole uh, more non-interactive deck. Yeah, than, I, than interactive. I think so. Um, but yeah, so so we do have one blue white control in the top sixteen of the classic, and it actually won the classic. Um, there were no other blue white, but yeah, I mean, 
Uh, mm-hmm. This blue-white player was able to figure out what was good, and it turns out it's the four terminus one entreat the angels that we talked about last year or last uh, week. I was going to say last year. We talked about last week on the cast uh, that we saw in Magic Online. Uh, with the four Mystic Sanctuary, you can kind of, you know, rebuy these miracles um, after, you know, playing them. Or I guess you don't really have a way to get in your graveyard otherwise. But but yeah, so th- this is like classic blue-white playing three Jace, Mind Sculptor, three Teferi Hero of Dominaria, two Teferi Time Raveler, and then your typical kind of disruption package. Uh, but with one Entreat the Angel, four Terminus. Um, that you can set up with Mystic Sanctuary for like, you know, just Terminus every turn for a while if you have to. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it. Mystic Sanctuary also probably a mistake. It's uh, yeah. it's currently being overshadowed in in a lot of respects and from Eldraine because there's a lot of it feels like there's a lot of broken cards. Yeah, but that card does a lot because well, it's and a what Mystic Sanctuary land. is doing is like a little more low key than kind of what the other mm-hmm. uh, cards are doing because it it tends to be better in longer games uh, yeah. as opposed to like Once Upon a Time, which tends to be found in these like creature based combo decks that are looking to end the game pretty quick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and same with Emery. I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm curious why there's no Narsets in the main. Narset seems like such a powerful yeah, part of effect to have in the main deck. There's a lot of decks that run a lot of cantrips we're seeing. Yeah. Uh, Urza, it's, the Urza deck itself actually pretty heavily relies on drawing several cards. Yeah. And, it single-handedly shuts down Paradoxical Outcome. Yeah, well, and outcome. the Urza deck doesn't have a lot of, like, creatures to pressure no, exactly. with either. I mean, it's playing, like, all these one-power dudes, and, like, it's even stops, like, Arkham's Astrolabe, and, like... Yep. I guess it doesn't stop Mishra's Bubble, because they can just activate it on their turn to draw on your upkeep, but, yeah, I mean, it, like, it stops a bunch of their cards randomly and prevents them from going off, and hoses Jeskai Ascendancy, um yep and i think like going into this weekend urza was i think like kind of agreed upon as the deck to beat yeah and so i'm surprised yeah i I think i agree with you that i'm surprised not to see the narsets in the main there are two in the side and couldn't have been that bad of a choice since they ended up winning but but yeah yeah, i would be interested to know what the reasoning for uh sideboarding those narsets was oh i actually scroll up i actually just noticed that name ivan espinoza is a local socal player oh awesome He's he's at all the ptqs and whatnot so that's cool. I didn't recognize yeah. the name, but uh, that's that's good to know that he's around. Maybe we can uh, see him at uh, an event sometime. Yeah, absolutely. In the top 16 of the classic. Also, there is a uh, didn't make top eight. It was 11th place. A uh, is it Kiki Jiki deck similar to the one we talked about last week? Uh, I am going to talk about it again because I'm a big fan of this deck. I think uh, it's the four Brianborn Cutthroat, four Snapcaster, and then two Kiki. I think the Magic Online list we saw was three Kiki. Um, but yeah, it's just like a it's looking to be as similar to Splinter Twin as possible, um, except that you have Brianborn Cutthroat as kind of like the Tarmogoyf of the uh, of the old Tarmo Twin decks, where like you have this kind of two mana threat that you can just drop early and then try and counter everything they do and kill them with that. Uh, and you also have this combo finish that can beat them up and you get to attack on multiple angles. Um, unfortunately, both your angles are creatures. So if your opponent is playing a bunch of creature removal, you might still lose, but <laughs> uh, yeah, it's got two brazen borrower as well, which is an awesome modern horizons card that I certainly am going to try and play in modern, even if it doesn't really have a good home right now, but maybe this is the home for it. I think that this deck, um, personally appeals to me a lot as a person who likes to play blue cards and red cards um together but yeah you got 
cryptics, force negation, uh, four remand, two spell snare, counter as a counter spell sweep, four lightning bolt, one magmatic sinkhole, and then uh, just ops and peaks as flash I'm stuff. Sorry, is that two peak? Two peak, yeah. Peak in twenty nineteen. Yep. What year is it? Yeah, I know. Well, I, I like peak. I mean, especially because it it is another flash cantrip where like. I don't think you want to be playing Serum Visions or Sleight of Hand in here. So if you're looking for like more cantrips, you want instant speed to grow your Brineborn Cutthroat so you can like flash back on their end step with Snapcaster. Plus, the fact that Peak looks at their hand is pretty relevant because sometimes you're going to have Pestermite Kiki combo in your hand and you want to know what the opponent hands look like. You know, you can you can Peak on their end step if they don't have anything, then you go for it. If they do have something, maybe you just like you know flash in a snapcaster and peek again or something just to draw some cards and try and you know get to the point where you can combo but yeah i i think peak is super cool in this deck um but i am really biased because of the type of deck i like <laughs> that's fair i i feel two peak feels like a lot i i think that you could definitely at least upgrade at the very least upgrade one to a thought scour which is sure. going to work with your magmatic sinkhole and maybe allow you to play more than just one of the effect because with one magmatic sinkhole and eight fetch lands i don't think that you need to be enabling it that hard but sometimes you have to kill a gurmag angler like that's true like i think I, I also feel like you might want to play two because there are can be a lot of big things that you want to well kill. yeah that is true and i think that's a metagame call and sure. i think in this like kind of uh unfair metagame that we were talking about magmatic sinkhole is not as good i mean you can like sure. kill urza or emery with it but sometimes it entering the battlefield is too late yeah. um so maybe like leaning on discarding counter spells is more important than leaning on removal sure like four lightning bolt is a no-brainer in this deck because a lot of the time like if you draw two lightning bolts they're gonna deal nine or twelve damage so <laughs> you really need the full four to like actually close out games, especially if you're on the Brian Bourne cutthroat or brazen borrower plan. But uh, the sinkhole I think is just like purely a piece of removal. And it, I think that like maybe removal is that doesn't, that only hits creatures is just not super well positioned right now. Four remand. Four remand. That's a lot of remand. That is a lot of remand. It takes me back, truly. <laughs> yeah, I just... I mean, so what I do like about this deck is that it feels like it's leaning a lot more into, rather than being a kiki-jiki deck, like it's more of like a Brimeborn Cutthroat deck that yes. just incidentally has this combo kill when for when you need that. Yeah, um, similar to remand, like the Tarmo Twin decks. Yeah, like remand definitely helps lean into that where it just hits everything. Um, that said, I think that if I want to be sort of a disruptive blue red bolt snap bolt type deck i want those blood moons in the main in a lot of these matchups right now yeah i think that there that is an interesting way to kind of expand on this deck uh we've definitely seen like kind of blue moon with kiki jiki as the wing con mm -hmm. we were talking about kind of like blue moon decks historically have had pick your favorite combo kill and we've seen kiki jiki in that slot so yeah i mean i think that this deck could kind of go that direction i think the problem with blood moon is that like it doesn't feel like something you just want to tap out for on turn three. Like in certain matchups, yes, you do. You want to be doing it against Tron or any time kind of primeval Titan deck, but against like Urza, it's not that high impact. And you like tapping out for it on turn three feels really bad, especially in this deck full of like instance that you're probably going to need against the Urza deck real quick when they have like, you know, are fetching for basics and playing astrolabes and mox opals and stuff. Your blood moon is just not really doing a lot. Um, so I don't know. I just think tapping out on, on turn three for blood moon in this deck seems 
counterproductive towards a lot of what you're doing as a sideboard card though yeah uh, like sometimes turn three blood moon is just going to totally hose your amulet titan player and give you time to kiki them sure maybe I, I i think that there's enough there that i would want blood moon in the main but especially like there's a bunch of mystic sanctuary decks right now that just turns that off there's a That's bunch true. of amulet titan running around it feels like it hit blood moon is getting back to the point where it actually hits enough things that i'm interested in having blood moons but you know, he was playing this weekend. I, I have the benefit of looking at the weekend in retrospect totally. rather than trying totally. to register a deck. So, uh, yeah, well, I think that we have covered pretty much what we saw at the SCGs. Uh, it's I'm interested to see what else Eldraine can do, because right now we've we've mostly seen, uh, you know, existing decks with Eldraine cards slotted into them. And I think that there are going to be some more unique stuff built kind of around Eldraine cards like Oko or like Mystic Sanctuary, like Sam Black is is working on. Um, and I think those decks are still being tuned, and I think that we'll be seeing them in top eight soon. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I I have had the idea stuck in my head ever since I noticed that, um, that like the legacy decks Jerry was sending me were, you, you, if you remove the Brainstorm and the Force of Will and like some of the lands, it's just a modern deck. And so I've been really intrigued all day by the idea of playing like four Arkham's Astrolabe, um, like some number of like, or maybe you don't even need Astrolabe. You could just play like Noble Hierarch and Birds of Paradise or something like that. And then Teferi, Narset, Oko as just like absurd things to do on turn two. All these mana dorks work really nicely with Oko, tournament where he gets to turn them into beasts yeah. to start beating down. Oko yeah, we, we saw everything. we saw we talked about a Magic Online list last week, uh, and I wish I had it up here. Um, that was that was doing something similar. Yeah, it was like a Bant mid range that was going like Mana Dork into Creature, and it was playing Okos because sometimes like turn two Oko, turn your like, you know whatever combo piece into a into an Elk, and then you know what's that Elk going to do? Kill my Oko? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, probably not because it starts with six hundred loyalty. <laughs> yeah. But no, and then it's like. So I get all of this package together in my head and then I'm like, oh, and then Stoneforge works really well here too. And because like, especially cute is that you can turn the the germ on the batter skull into a 3-3 and attack with a 7-7 seven, seven nice. lifelink. Yeah, like, there's then, a bunch of like really cool incidental synergies that all of these things have together. And I just don't know. I wish I had an excuse to like and a lot of prepare the for a modern hate, Yeah, a lot of the batter skull hate is focused on destroying batter skull, like Coligan's mm-hmm. Command or something. And then you're like, well, that's fine. I still have a 3-3. Three, three. You yeah. know, like this batter skull still provided a card that you know oko had to help out to make it worth a card but yeah so very good so i hope to see more eldraine in the future uh but for now i think uh i think that's the show so thanks everybody for watching uh you know don't forget to find us on social media and like and subscribe to the video uh we'll see you next time see ya thank you for your attention see you later alligator This has been a production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into the future.